0: Hey, just wanted to get in front of this episode as always to let you know that this is a podcast that it talks with adult language and discusses adult themes, which is especially true in this episode and f- upcoming episodes, uh, so you have been warned. Also, I would just like to point out that I, I will be talking about traditions that I was not raised in and do not practice, and in no way is this material meant to discredit uh Quantify or make fun of these traditions. Um, This all comes from a place of curiosity, and I am more than welcome to healthy discourse or corrections. Thank you. Monster fuckers. Boy, has it been a time period and a glory day for those who are sexually attracted to monsters. So what is it about monsters that makes them so enticing? Why is it more and more that you can't scroll through Instagram without seeing a man being crushed up between a pair of thick, strong thighs being held by an ogre, or the various TV shows, uh, video games, and other material that explicitly have you interacting with monsters? Over the next three episodes, my plan is to discuss the concept of of sexual attraction to monsters, and look at some various media and folklore traditions to look at what are some of the scariest and sexiest lady monsters. Buckle up, kids. We're in for a fucking weird one this time. That's right. You heard me. Monster fuckers. Uh, from Shape of Water to Monster Prom, we've had just a bevy of materials in these past few years for people who are sexually attracted to monsters. Uh, the Shape of Water, fun little fact, uh, Guillermo del Toro, the reason he did The Shape of the Water, he way he did, was because he originally watched the uh, old Creature from the Black Lagoon movies and thought that it was supposed to be a love story, not a tragedy. Which says a lot about him, oh, actually uh, on Netflix he did a beautiful rendition of uh, Pinocchio that's more in line with uh, the original Pinocchio, because this may come as a shock to you but Disney fucked up another fairy tale. Uh, Pinocchio actually is a bit odd as a fairy tale if you think about it, um, quick, already for a side tangent. Uh, Pinocchio was a serialized story that came out of newspapers and was released as a hardcover book in the 1920s. So it um, had a lot more going on. Um, There is, however, I'm not talking about Pinocchio today. I'm talking about monster fuckers. So to start off with the easier part of this, um, the technical term for a person who is sexually attracted to fantasy creatures, monsters, or... Uh, arguably, much more problematically, uh, heavily disabled individuals is known as a teratophile or teratophilia, is the technical term. Um, barring the incredibly problematic um, dehumanization of those who are born with defects or have to suffer through disabilities, um, today we're talking about good old. I will be referring to them as monster fuckers. Um, it's this is not a new thing. I did some tertiary research, um, into various interesting websites. Let's just say that my uh, whoever's monitoring my uh, search history has had a weird ass week. Um, so the one of the first things I did is that there is a social network, uh, for people who are into various forms of kink and. Uh, different expressions of sexual attraction known as FetLife for people to, it's a social network for fetishes. And diving in a little bit, in the uh, fetish called quote, aliens, creatures, and monsters, that currently has 2,280 users that are either uh, express a interest in it or are curious about it. Um, The way the app works is that you can talk about things you're into, you can talk about and the things that you're curious about. There's also message boards and events that you can talk to other like-minded individuals. And uh, some of the message groups are um, things called, uh, quote, demon fucking, end quote, or sorry demon fucking and other evil sex acts, end quote, and, quote, alien impregnation fantasies, end quote. Um, this is the epitome of different strokes for different blokes. I wish there was a female version of that, but I do not know. If you know, let me know, because that's, uh, it's a fun saying, and women masturbate too. This episode's going to get, <laughs> this I'm going to have to explicit mark so fucking fast. Um, so the interesting thing about it is like since you in theory can't technically fuck a monster the closest you can get is to like I don't know fucking like a extreme right wing politician a lot of times it's more of the erotic arts versus pornographic arts which there is a distinction Um, fun fact about me When I went to college um, and got my bachelor's in history, which is the reason I like to say that I'm qualified to do this podcast, I did my entire senior thesis about sexual ideologies in uh, the 18th century, specifically looking at England. And uh, what that did is A, made a very awkward symposium where I had to present and uh, the president of the campus (laughs) came to see my presentation. And B, I have a lot of books that um, on my shelf make a lot of sense and are very quite fascinating and I would highly recommend to anybody who's curious. But in terms of like safe for work content, not so much. So I pulled the following quote from a book called Mighty Lewd Books by Julie Paikman. Uh it, The work itself is a deep dive into eroticism and pornography and the changing themes in uh, 18th century England so we're looking at the 1700s. Hers focuses a little more on flagellation or spanking than monsters but I really liked this quote about the difference between erotica and pornography that I think will help kind of set the tone because at the end of the day a lot of the things I'm talking about is purely going to be stuck in the realm of erotica because, again, you can't fuck a monster unless you know some like really fucking brain-damaged Republicans. Um, but, and this is a direct quote, erotic and pornographic works add to our understanding of people's sexual knowledge and beliefs, and a psychosexual dimension disclose personal desires. But erotica does not necessarily tell us about people's actual sexual experiences. Uh, dot, dot, dot. Some of the more explicit material is, of course, fantastical. This has to deal with the fact that, like, the very, very messy difference between erotica and porn, where pornography is a lot more... I guess the easiest way I can do it is pornography, for the purposes of this, is more visually stimulating, whereas erotica is more, like, mentally stimulating you can paint that picture um, you can flash cut to the uh, billion dollar industry of paranormal romance where you have dozens of women in like slip dresses being cradled by a shirtless man with uh, unreasonable muscles who apparently turns into like a werepanther or some shit and this is none of this I should put in there is meant to kink shame or yuck anybody's yum everybody can be into what they're into as long as they're not hurting anybody and in terms of monster fucking like there is very little that someone could do other than like maybe make people uncomfortable discussing it in public but i'm a historian who specializes in uh talking about like gender politics uh sexual practices and uh different cultures, folklores, and specifically stories about monsters. So uh, me talking in public most of the time is a little bit of a problem anyway. So this then begs the question, what causes someone to develop a monster fetish? Becau- like, do you just have a weird experience with an octopus? Do you, like, what is, like, is there a sexual awakening where you're just sitting there watching Monsters, Inc. being like, Hmm. Huh. Okay, then. Um, will you stop attacking the cables, Freya? I love you, but you need to... Uh, you're being the monster right now. Smack your fuzzy butt. Um, So... <laughs> Sorry. Part of the opus of this po- this episode and, like, this concept was I was incredibly curious about like the psychology of people who want to fuck monsters because I'm deeply fascinated in how fetishes develop. Um, for example, I remember lis- hearing that one of the proposed theories to why people have foot fetishes is that the way your body the prece- way a human perceives the body when looking at another individual is it goes from top to bottom and then it proceeds to think about the parts that they can't see. So it's like head down to shoulder, head, shoulder, knees, toes and you're at your feet. And then the next logical step is to think about the fact of their secondary sex characteristics, whether it be breasts uh, or their genitals. And sometimes and that's the more erotic part of the body and that's why it gets hidden because nobody can fucking control themselves. Well, people could probably control themselves, but some people can. Uh, I'm not here to argue the merits of people behaving especially as a white man um, I'm not a great demographic choice for people behaving well anywho foot fetishes so one of the concepts is the fact that since the feet are the last part of the body that people process before thinking about the hidden parts like the genitalia that the line gets blurred between genitals and feet so that people will get you know instead of getting sexually aroused by the genitals whether it be you know same different it doesn't matter this of course obviously doesn't count for people who don't feel sexual attraction but if they don't feel sexual attraction they don't tend to have fetishes Um, but i don't know that Um, don't come for me asexuals for feet if that's even a thing But anyway, so, like, the sexual attraction to genitals and feet get kind of blurred, and that's how foot fetishes develop. And I was um, innately curious. I'm just like, how do people want to fuck monsters? And I started looking for scholarly articles on monster fuckers, um, which led me nowhere. And then I found the technical term, and that led me a couple places, but I wasn't really getting a satisfying action. So I finally was just like, okay, why do fears become fetishes? Because I saw, and this is going to be the most millennial fucking thing I've said this podcast. I saw a TikTok where uh, a person was talking about, uh, God, what was it? They were just like, "What doesn't kill us makes us kinky." Um, if you get, I will start looking for who the TikTok was so I can give them credit for that, while I continue this thought, but. So I was just like, maybe that's what it has to do with it. Maybe it's something about the fear response has to do with something developed in the Fed. Uh, The TikToktor's name is Mason Denver. Uh, They do a lot of fun TikToks about, like, there's one which is, like, a receptionist to hell. But they do one where it's, like, uh, the individual will do ones where it's talking to themselves, trying to correct behavior. And one of them is, like, what doesn't kill us? What doesn't kill us? Uh, makes us stronger. Makes us kinky. And it's like, am I wrong? No. And I'm just like, I can work with this. So I found a Psychology Today article which was called Sexual Attraction in the Survival Mode uh, by which was a post on psychologytoday.com by John Montgomery, PhD. And so apparently there's something about the state of fear of anxiety makes to make people more likely to experience feelings of sexual attraction towards other people. And I'm just like, oh. This is really fucking interesting. Um, so I'm going to pull uh, some of the quotes I wrote down. Uh, quote, strong sexual desire has been shown to activate all the main components of the stress response system. Um, which is weird, because it's, like, I, not to get too personal on this already weird-ass Not weird ass, destigmatized talking about sex. Um, When I'm stressed or scared, my first response is not, I need to fuck. Like it is not there. Like granted, there is something to the fact that like if you, the act of an orgasm can reduce the chemicals in your brain and it can help reduce stress and um, also uh, relieve headaches. But uh, if I'm at the point where I'm getting a lot of those heavy stress responses, I don't think the first thing is going to be like "what's fuck." Um, so okay, here comes a big sciencey quote about neuroscience. Um, I am again not a scientist, so that's why a lot of this is just direct quotes because I don't, I can't tell you how the brain works. Because frankly, there's a lot of fucking scientists who can't tell you how the brain works either, so I'm not alone. But Quote, what may therefore happen biochemically in the brains of people who are noticeably anxious or afraid, for example, is that the stress hormones released in the brain by anxiety or fear may mingle with and enhance the effects of the stress hormones and other neurochemicals that are involved in sexual desire. So I'm wondering, following this logic, is that by having horny er, monsters or having, seeing a being in a high-stress environment and, like, trying to calm down. Sometimes, you know, what's a good way to calm down? You sit down and watch a movie. And you sit down and you watch something and there's a real sexy vampire or there's, um, like, a werewolf who's ripped. Um, And you kind of have that, oh. Because the big thing about, um, in the study, I didn't write down the direct quote, but they talk about how there was a group of women who they sent down two sets of bridges. One bridge was a bit more precarious than the other. And then they had different, uh, various men of age, race, ethnicity, etc. And they then took a poll of the women afterwards, showing them the pictures of the different men and talking about which of them they felt more attracted to. And it was a thing where the women who were on the more treacherous bridge had stronger sexual er, uh, emotions or more physical d- reasons that they liked the individuals that they saw versus the people who were on the safer bridge. Um, the article itself um, goes into the dangers of the this stress hormone equals sexual desire and how if a person is conditioned to couple sex and stress together it's what uh, keeps people in toxic relationships because you're still getting that high regardless of the proper stimulation um i would love to go into that more but i can't because i didn't take notes on it but again the article is called sexual attraction and the survival mode on PsychologyToday.com. today.com uh, you don't have to sign up for anything you can read it for free and i uh, highly suggest you read it because it was very interesting and i think it's as close as I'm going to get is to an answer for why people want to fuck monsters, like, other than the fact that, like, everything wants to make them, like, oh, here's this, uh, scary monster with tiggled biddies. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Drew, this is a comparative podcast using history, mythology, folklore, and pop culture. Where is the, where are my stories? And... That is what the bulk of the next few episodes are going to be. So, for the next, for the rest of this episode and the next two episodes I have planned are all going to be about this con- these lady monsters. I have looked, I've been pawing through all the folkloric encyclopedias, the dictionaries, and sources that I have to find just some real fun, uh, whether they be monsters, uh, minor, like for one tradition, I couldn't find a lot of monsters. So I added some of their uh, goddesses of destruction and death, uh, which of course is in no way meant to uh, talk about these traditions as less than or to demonize their, oh, excuse me. Uh, demonize their traditions. But I suppose it's time to get this shit started, shall we? I'm gonna start with my entries into the concept of people wanting to have sex with monsters. Um, I was always a fan of monsters and whatnot. I've never been sexually attracted to monsters, really. Like, vampires vampires are kind of there, but like They're so human, like the line is a bit blurry, but like when I was probably around 15, I was getting the paper magazine version of Shonen Jump to date myself a bit. I was getting back when Shonen Jump was a magazine and the way it worked was you got the weekly chapters. I fucking wish I still had some of them, but in college I donated a, I went through a phase where I wasn't really, uh, I downsized a lot of my collection and I donated most of my stuff to the college's uh, anime club. So unfortunately, I don't have any more of my actual physical uh, Shonen gems, but I was re- introduced to a series called Rosario Plus Vampire, which was considered a... Shonen Jump Advanced, which was their way of saying this has some mature themes and is intended for audiences over the age of 16. So the basic premise of Rosaripal's Vampire is there's a human boy named Sukune, and he accidentally gets enrolled into a high school, which is a high school of monsters. And what happens is all his classmates are different monsters from different folklore traditions who are gu- under the guise of humans to get an education. Hilarity ensues, and uh, this is a harem manga. At least the first season really is. There's uh, two seasons. The sequel series, arguably the better one, is where I'm gathering some of the material I'll be talking about today. But he ends up with this gaggle of girls who like him because he's a human and he's you know not like other humans. Uh, hey, and uh, so I'm gonna start by going through the main most of the women in Rosario Plus Vampire. Uh, first off, uh, it's in the fucking name, uh, vampires. In the series, to start off, the main love interest is a, a vampire girl named Moka Akashiya, and she is a vampire who wears a seal around her neck that can will hold off a lot of her power uh, but of course uh, Sukune Deus Machina, he can remove the seal from her neck and it allows him, uh, her to fight his battles for him because he's just a human and he shouldn't be fighting fucking monsters so instead of going into Uh, Monsters in and of themselves, monsters, vampires in and of themselves is a topic that could frankly be its own fucking, forget its own podcast episode, it could be its own podcast subject, and I will delve a lot deeper into different uh, vampire lores, I keep wanting to say monster because it's the theme of this episode, I will keep delving into vampire lores in a bunch of different episodes, I have a few planned um, especially so I can talk about like Castlevania and why the Castlevania show is uh, so goddamn good and they did Carmela so well. but in this mythos um, I'll going to focus on just how they are in this one. So in the universe of Reirs a vampire, uh, vampires are stronger the older they are and how closely related to the progenitor vampire they are. So the more pure blood, and the more, and the as they get older, they get more and more powerful. Um, they are, they have a, a range of abilities pulling from a lot of different uh, vampire traditions. You've got uh, the ability to acquire familiars, uh, a la uh, one character you meet in season two is Mocha's younger half sister Coco. Uh, who has a bat that can transform into weapons as a familiar. Um, you also have ones who can transform their body into various weapons and like hardening their skin and developing wings. You get introduced into this ability a bit by Mocha, one of Mocha's older sisters who transform her, her arm into sharpened wings to kill people because she's ass- one of the two assassin older sisters. Um, There's also the other older sister who um, shows that uh, vampires can learn magic including, in-universe, the ability to slice through dimensions. Which is a callback to the multi-dimensional episode. I believe in the concept of Rosaripal's Vampire, the the multi-dimensional thing works with that second theory where we are a 3D space inside a much larger dimensional space. And so the magic is that they can be trained to slice through. Um, The relationship between Mocha and Skune also shows that um, most vampires, uh, when they grow fond to a human, uh, their blood actually tastes sweeter to them and is a lot more addicting, somewhat like a drug. Uh, however, there's also the downside, though, that if a vampire gives a human their blood, they can transform them into a ghoul, which is essentially just like a walking, shambling corpse that's uh, fueled by violence. Our next one in the menagerie of our Rosario vampire screen are succubi. There, uh, in the manga, there's a succubus named Kurumu, who is the second one to join on the, uh, uh, let's fuck this human, uh, bandwagon. Uh, in her introduction, and the reason why this is a manga for 16-year-old boys, is it's like, her tits, like, hypnotize people, because of course they do, um, Succubi are incredibly interesting as a concept. Um, Succubus is an old um, demon that is traditionally associated with the different sects of Christianity and Catholicism. Uh, They come from the Latin succare, which is to lie beneath, um, which is for some outdated concepts of uh, a woman's role in the bedroom. Uh, Traditionally, a succubus is a dream demon who enters the man. Enter a male dream to have sex with them, extract the semen, and bring it back to hell because most high-ranked demons and Satan himself cannot produce sperm. Because since they're fallen angels, they didn't have genitals to begin with. So they can't really produce sperm. Um, their, uh, one idea behind Succubi is a, um, it's kind of in more strict traditions where like there's a lot of weight put into not wasting semen. Because it's like, you should be saving that semen to have just simple three-minute missionary sex to make more Christian babies. Um, you have to find an excuse for nocturnal emissions. And uh, so some people, there is some belief that succubi are, were like the explanation being like, Oh, you're having nocturnal emissions or wet dreams because a succubus is trying to come steal your seed so that a, a demon can put it on ice and then give it to an incubus who will sleep with a woman because women are the root of all evil and that's how they'll make the Antichrist. Or in uh, Arthurian legend, uh, that's how you make a Merlin. In the, cons- the Respirables Vampire universe, uh, succubi are able to adjust their form slightly. To appeal better to the opposite sex, and they can also use minor mind control, and uh, some, and be able to move around the subconscious of a human, or frankly anybody, because I believe there's a whole segment in season two where they're messing around in a vampire subconscious. The third, okay, so in the manga, the third person that joins their little group is a witch. Um, I have trouble describing witches as monsters. I, Again, witches will probably be their own podcast and I'll go into different witches' traditions. Um, as a practicing uh, pagan slash Wiccan, um, I'm not big into thinking of witches as monsters, but that's my own personal bias. Um, but the important thing is recognizing your personal bias and pointing them out because all history is biased. Read a book. So the next one I'm going to talk about instead is uh, in the English translation called the Snow Fairy. Uh, this is, this girl whose name is Mizure. Is a creature made of ice and snow. Uh, all snow fairies are women. In the universe, they are they need to mate with uh, humans or other uh, strong male specimens in order to continue their species uh so they have arranged marriages for the for their 16th birthday in order to mate my best guess is that um based partially on the translation and partially on the emphasis on marriage that the snow fairy culture has i believe that um, because there isn't any good translation from the japanese these are uh Suara Ona, or icicle women. So there is a tradition in Japan. Uh, yeah, that's right. This is actually technically comparative yokai part two. Surprise. Um, the Suara Ona is created when a man looks upon an icicle and thinks about how much he hates being single. And that icicle then becomes the perfect wife for him. Uh, it's a lot similar to a yuki-ona, but a, a lot more gentle, uh, which is a uh, yuki-ona is something I'll cover a bit later because I am planning on covering some yokai today. So most of the stories of uh, Suara Onas are kind of bittersweet tragedies because it's, it has you have this man who's living alone, he's very sad, and then they come and then all of a sudden this beautiful woman comes into his life, he get, they get married immediately. And there's kind of two ways that the tragedy ends. Uh, The first is that there'll be a strong winter storm and the husband will argue with the wife incessantly to have her take a bath so she doesn't freeze. And if she relents to him, she'll go take the bath and the husband will find just a cold puddle of water on the ground and his wife to be vanished. There's another version, however, Uh, the story I have is from Niigata Prefecture. So what happens is the man meets, uh, the man thinks about how lonely he is, and he looks upon the icicle. And then uh, the following day, a woman enters his home, uh, knocks on his door, and she's like, Do you mind if I stay here a couple nights uh, while I'm on my journey? I can pay you, but with uh, housework and food. And he, this is the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. He's like, hell yeah. So um, they slowly fall in love over the span of like a week. And he asks her to give up her journey and to move in with him and be married. And so they get married. But in the spring, she's uh, like, I need to run to the store. And she never returns. <laughs> she went out for a pack of cigarettes. The man gets distressed. But in a few months, he moves on and remarries. That following winter, there's a knock at his door. He ax- and uh, opens it, and there is the icicle woman. And she's just like, I thought you said your love was true, but apparently you've remarried. And he said, you said you were going out for a pack of cigarettes and had been gone for seven months. He's like, I moved on. So she leaves angrily and he's like I got shit to do so he tells his wife I'm gonna step out for a minute the uh, person at the door was just a salesman I chased them off but I got to do some shoveling and then there's a large crash and the new wife runs out to the horror of her husband have being impaled through the head with a large icicle. yeah So the final monster I'll talk about for Rosario plus Vampire is a character from season two, specifically. Um, In season two, um, you do have a couple people added to the gang. Um, One of them is a dude, which is a little funny because they do play up a little bit, being like, is this guy into this guy? Is there like something, is there some homoeroticism going on here? But... By the end of the series, he ends up with the, with the witch character, so they don't explore it anymore. But I want to talk about his sister. His elder sister is a Zhang or hopping zombie. And it's, hopping zombies are incredibly fascinating. So the way this works is a Chinese hopping zombie is called Zhang Shi, and they're made by uh, sorcerers, um, and how it works is that they're in a long purple robes with a big dome-like hat. I think like a pope hat but if it, instead of it coming into a point it's just like a more like a flat dome. And they always have a seal right in front of their face that's attached, affixed to their forehead and covers down. Uh, that's the seal that allows them to move. Um, they're traditionally known as hopping zombies because all they can do is put their arms in front of them and just hop towards their victims. However in the Rosario plus vampire universe uh, they have full range of movement and can even learn the same dimensional magic that vampires do. It depends like their magical ability depends on the sorcerer who summons them. Um, in the old traditions, uh, the hopping zombies don't have as much of a range of movement, and they actually cannot move while the sun is out. Um, and they sometimes get compared to vampires because they go around sucking the life force out of humans, and that's all it takes so you gotta com- a to get compared to a vampire sometimes. It's nocturnal, life force. Fuck humans. But this is another one of those stories which has a really fun potential origin that I want to talk about. Um which is part of the reason why I even bothered talking about Rosario plus Vampires. I'm like, I need to talk about this because this is my first introduction to the world of people wanting to have sex with monsters and also because I want to talk about Jiangshi. So the interesting thing is that there is a belief that the Jiangshi was created because during some more um, like large spanning wars, sometimes men would die far away from where they lived. And these quote-unquote necromancers would be hired to bring the bodies of the dead home to their families for a proper burial. Um, So what they would do is they would take two posts they would tie their legs to one the lower post and they would top their arms held outward so that the body would like curve a little bit to the upper post and then two the men who were hired would be on either end and they would walk with the bodies essentially and because of the movement of the men and the movement of the things, it looked like the body was just hopping along with these two men. And so some people believe that that's where the Zhongshu came from, a, a person being very tired, not noticing the other man, but seeing essentially just this legion of hopping corpses going through the field. Um, which I think is really fucking neat. So continuing in the vein of Doing some fictional monsters before I I'm gonna uh, of the three I'm covering covering today I'm gonna end on yokai, just you know end on a bang. So the next one I'm gonna talk about is a video game called Monster Prom. Monster Prom is a video game that was put out where the main concept is it's a wacky dating sim where you are trying to seduce uh, various monsters over the span of a few weeks, so that they'll go to prom with you. Um, the ver- version I took notes from is the most updated version, which I believe... Um, there's been multiple spin-offs and uh, sequels that have come out since the game came out. There was a Monster Camp, there was a Monster Prom Reverse, there was a um, Monster Road Trip. And they and but they kept Monster Prom and they just added the characters and some of the scenarios in, so that's a majority of what I did. Uh, fun fact for research for this episode, so I could figure out some stuff about Monster Prom. I spent um, I've played the game before and I gotten a few of the endings, but I haven't played it since all these updates. Um, so I spent four hours trying to get a monster to go to prom with me. <laughs> it took me four fucking hours. Just countless rejections to finally find a monster to gonna prom with me. I didn't have this issue in high school. I went to a prom my senior year and my freshman year, and both times someone asked me. So I was... So it was baffling to me that I could not get a fucking date for the prom. Even though I was playing a bevy of hot monsters. So... In turn for this part of the uh, cultural exchange, um, let's talk about the various monsters that you can romance or be in monster prom. Uh, The first one was a, um, I also have their ages. They added their ages into these because there is a lot of discussion about sex, drugs, and alcohol. Um, So their ages are listed. They are all over 18 um, which also has to uh, can tie directly into the fetishization of monsters. But, anywho, alright. Here we go, Monster prom. Uh, the first one I'm talking about is a character who is a newer addition called Dahlia Aquino, age 20. This is a blue demon warlord who clashes with the other demon named Damien for control of the 8th circle of hell. In the game, one of the main options to take the prom is a de- red demon with a broken horn named Damien LeVay who is the son of two dads who run the Eighth Circle of Hell and is a spoiled prince. Uh, later on they added this Dahlia character, kind of like a foil. Uh, she's extremely muscular and has a strong sexual desire for one of the vampire character Liam, but there is a way to get her ending. Uh, according to in-game discussion with the uh, Coven of Witches, uh, again, I did not cover the witches because witches aren't monsters. I am not a monster. Uh, it is shown that she has no magical ability. But what is very interesting is that sh- uh, in tying in with the demon aspect, she is named after the creator of the Temple of Set, Michael Aquino. Uh, Aquino disagreed with uh, Arenton LaVey, founder of Satanism, and uh, a fun side note, LaVey is also the last name of the demon, Damien, that you can date. Um, So he argued with LaVey about the way the church was run and left. He then was said to communicate with Satan themselves, who revealed themselves as Set, and then founded his own organization, which is run very similar to Satanism, but with some key differences. Uh, The next monster is Miranda Vanderbilt, 19. She is a mermaid princess who loves the monarchy and genocide. Uh, she is supposed to be a, both a satire on classism and also uh, making fun of the Little Mermaid. Uh, according to. Because uh, she has, like. Because on the one hand, she ha- does, like, the Little Mermaid stuff where, like, she's really obsessed with silverware. But on the other hand, she also has a army of serfs who do all her bidding for her. Uh, according to ending dialogue, she is also the only main love interest who is a- still a virgin because she is supposed to be the chaste princess. Uh, Her name origin is uh, from the Latin term Mirandus, meaning to be marveled at, and her last name is the actual family name of an incredibly wealthy and powerful American family, um, the Vanderbilts, that uh, gained social and financial prominence from their railroad and shipping conglomerates. The next one, uh, one of my favorite characters that she's a lot of fun to interact with, is a polygeist, who is age 22, question mark. She's a poltergeist with an insatiable hunger for partying and drugs. Uh, she's an extremely sexual being, with not only talking about it in various uh, situations, she has also uh, made up four different sexual positions that are talked about during the game. Uh, and also has a quote "friends with benefits" situation with one of the witches from the coven. Although she's kind of played off as this uh, ditzy partying uh, girl, she's extremely knowledgeable about literature, especially Russian literature. In game, there's an event where she can recommend books to you, and two of the books she recommends to you is *The Gambit* by Fyodor Dostoevsky, and Dabrowski by Alexander Pushkin. Um, In addition to her name being a bastardization of the word poltergeist, um, her name Polina is a reference to, is actually the main female character in The Gambler, which is a book she recommends to you. Um, A couple of fun side notes. Um, I used a a lot of this information I got from the, what I couldn't glean from my four hours in game because I was clearly not getting close to any of these women because they didn't want to go to prom with me. Which makes me sound like the Incel Kappa character. Shit. Anyway, I just couldn't get—I couldn't trigger the right events. Um. In they say that Paulina, her name, could also be a, a reference to the show Danny Phantom, where there the most popular and first love interest for the main character's His name is Paulina. I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's intended or not, but it's a fun little side note. And also, for Polly, even though drugs and alcohol is her huge thing, it is actually revealed in one of the true endings for her that her actual cause of death was that her father uh, was drinking and driving and crashed the car with her family in it, and he was the only survivor. Uh, The next character, his name is uh, Zoe, or Zagord. Uh, This is an eldritch being uh, a la Lovecraftian lore. I have a little bit of affinity for this character because she was the only one who would go with me to prom. Um, Due to the character bio and the fact that there's a lot of uh, variance in their form, um, Zoe is technically transgender, is a transgender woman who was, originally they were agender because they was a mass of tentacles and anger, but then saw through the amulet they were trapped in how much fun it was to be a teenage girl by being stuck to the coven for a year and uh, now identifies as female and wants to be a fun teenage girl. She's incredibly into internet culture and fandom. Uh, A lot of times you'll see her sitting about trying to make, writing fan fiction about the other characters. Uh, But she's also completely unaware that uh, one of the other characters has a huge crush on her. Um, There's not much about her name, and it's hard to talk about Eldritch deities, because on the one hand, the Lovecraftian universe is a little fascinating with its concepts of sanity and interdimensional beings. On the other hand, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft was a huge fucking racist, even for 1920s consideration, which is a bit much. However, the fun little fact that I got from the wiki is that the voice actor for Zoe is the same voice actor for Shinji in the Netflix dub of Evangelion. So a lot of the references that is sets you on her route in the pop quiz you take at the beginning of the game are Evangelion Roses. Next, we have Vera Oberlin, 23. She's a Gorgon who is a ruthless businesswoman and loves murder. Uh, One of the interesting things about her is she's explicitly a feminist and goes on and on about how Princess Miranda needs to uh, shut up, get her shit together, and stop expecting a prince to come save her. An interesting thing is that, like, uh, Vera is actually an orphan and is the adopted... Technically, they they they're born on the same day, so they're not technically twins. But she's like the adopted twin of the shopkeeper Valerie, who I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but she's a Gorgon, so she has the head of hair of snakes. Gorgons are complicated because there's not a lot of depictions of them in Greek mythology. A certain way, a lot of the iconography that we know of Gorgons now is specifically Medusa, who was implicitly different than other Gorgons. Um, In one of the upcoming episodes, I will be delving into Greek monsters, and I'll probably talk more about Gorgons then. Um, The fun little thing about Vera being a... uh, Vera's name is, first off, um, she is based off of the character Chanel Oberlin from Scream Queens. And because you figure her name's Vera, like Vera Wang, uh, the character she's based off is Chanel. I think the reason that they kept this high-class name with the Gorgon is because the logo for Gucci is a Gorgon. So those characters are the main ones you can romance, well not, um, except for Dahlia, she's a, a more of a hidden root, but uh, I'm going to quickly go into some of the uh, ancillary characters before I uh, finally start talking about some yokai to finish this off. The first, char- uh, first off, I'm going to do two of the characters you can actually play as in the original Monster Prom. The first is Mira Rashid, who is a fire djinn. Um, not a huge fan of water. Um, the facts about her are a little bit limited because since she's one of the player characters, um, technically she doesn't have to be female, she's coded female, and in the game's Monster Prom reverse. Uh, where you can romance the characters from the original Monster Prom. She's coded, she's considered a female there. Um, but she's just a fire djinn with uh, hair, which means she's a, a Middle Eastern spirit with control over flames. Uh, her first, and even her name origins aren't super like all over the place. Like, they chose her first name because it was a very pretty name in Arabic. And her last name is, uh, from, is the last name of a resistance leader from the TV show Tyrant. The other female coded player character you can choose in the original Monster Prom, uh, her name turns out to be Vicki Schmidt, who is 23. Uh, she's uh, Frankenstein's monster. She's also the first playable character to uh, receive a last name. And the reason for that is is because you see her death certificate. So unlike your traditional Frankenstein's monster, which is a uh, pieced together from multiple corpses, it seems that Vicky was just one human. However, it does slightly imply that she died in a way that uh, she needed to be reassembled before being resurrected, which is a bit sad. Um... Her name is the feminized version of Victor Frank, Victor from as in Victor Frankenstein, and her last name is just was just chosen as a common German Jewish last name because in the game she's canonically Jewish. I oh got next is someone who could be considered an antagonist, but is also just another playable character or not a playable character. She's another character. And through a certain chain of events, you can also technically take her to prom as well, but it's a lot harder to do. And this is Aravi Mishra, age 22. She is the monster slayer who is possessed by a curse transforming her into a thrall of this curse and is also half human, half monster. Uh, She became a monster hunter because her father was a monster who uh, abandoned their family after who abandoned their family, just period. And then her mother's shortly, uh, due to her heartbreak over his leaving, succumbed to her injuries and a disease during a hunt. Um, they haven't, f- according to the wiki, they haven't fully announced who her, what type of father, what type of monster her father was, other than, you know, a deadbeat dad. But there is some thought process that he might be like a yaksha, which is a Form of demon. Um, uh, she, the, a fun little side note. Oh, a couple fun side notes. Uh, first off, her design is inspired by the female demon hunter class in Diablo 3, because the people who made this are huge nerds. Um, there's also a chain of events you can do where uh, you get her hammered at Monster Prom, and uh, she ends up being in an awkward three-way with uh, the demon Damien and the vampire Liam, Liam, who are both of her targets that she's trying to kill, and she ends up fucking them. Her name itself is uh, just a kind of an amalgamation of what she's trying to do. She's trying to defeat monsters to give herself peace, uh, which is why her name is the Hindi word for peace, whereas her last name... Is the means mixed or blended, uh, alluding to her heritage in Hindi. Last and certainly not least for the Monster Prom section is Valerie Oberlin, uh, Vera's twin adopted sister. So she's also 23, uh, but she is a cat girl, uh, probably a nekomata or at least a baka neko because she's tall, standing upright and talking. But she also has a very shrewd mind for business. She's actually the shopkeeper. Um, again, she you can take her to prom, but it's compli- you have to do a lot of chain of events. And uh, apparently, she's been dealing with some issues with her stuff because she won't ask Vera for things because she wants to show Vera she can earn money too. Uh, so a lot of times, after you buy th- something, she's like, "Thanks. I need to get I need this money for a new phone." Um, you find out in one of her stories that um, the reason they adopt Vera is so that uh, Valerie can have another woman in the house because Valerie's mother died during childbirth. And that's Monster Prom. Um, It's a super fun game, you can get it on Switch and Steam, definitely. the references are all over the place, uh, but it's also voiced by a bunch of YouTubers and it's, it's it's a real fun game. I'd highly recommend it. And finally, let's uh, talk about some good old folklore. So, uh, surprise, um, I know it's I promised the second episode of Comparative Yokai and I wanted to change up the formula. Uh, this wasn't exactly how I thought it was going to go, but um, I think it's kind of fun and there's plenty to cover. There's so many so many different yokai, so um, one of the things I'm going to do for this series is there's actually going to be yokai in every episode. Um, And to start I am still using the uh, translated compiled works of Toriyama Sekien, but I'm only using his female monsters from the ones I haven't covered yet. Um, The interesting thing is that each book, has multiple volumes. So I got plenty of material. So what I'm going to do today to finish this off is I have let's see two, three, four, five, six. I've got I'm gonna finish this off by telling you six female yokai and this'll be just the pre-game For the next couple weeks episodes where we're diving deeper into more traditions and more, you know, different video games and movies and mythologies. Uh, I was going to do Celtic mythology, but the book I have does not have anything about monsters in it. It's all hero sagas. And that is for a different episode. But let's talk yokai, shall we? Uh, Our first one is the jorogumo or spider bride also known as the whore spider. Uh, This is a colloquial name for the golden orb waver spider that is native to Japan. Um, It's a very beautiful spider which is a sentence I never pictured myself saying because I'm not a huge fan of bugs. But once a, a golden orb weaver turns 400. It develops magical powers and a taste for human flesh. So what happens is these spiders are incredibly tricksy and intelligent so they transform into uh, hot little things and can live in any sort of environment whether it be just an abandoned cave by a waterfall or in the middle of a busy city what they do is seduce young men with the promises of sex but once they get inside they entangle them in their webs which are said to be as strong as steel and then just slowly suck the life out of them over 3 days they're such efficient hunters that they could go for decades without being found out and even in a like heavily metropolitan area um the more traditional use of it is the spider, the like in terms of talking about the bug is the spider bride, um, whereas in traditional patriarchal fashion, once she starts seducing men and killing them because that she promised them sex and uh, didn't decide to deliver, uh, she's now the horror spider. The next yokai is a bit sadder. Um, trigger warnings for. Um, infant mortality. I will... uh, this is gonna take a few minutes, probably like a minute or two, Um, so if you're not someone who can handle discussions of infant mortality please skip ahead. Okay, so an abume is the spirit of a woman who died during childbirth. Um, There's a lot of depictions of them are associating them by, uh, Rivers, uh, because there's a concept called Ryuzen, or washed away birth, which is a euphemism for a woman having a miscarriage. Um, what happens is, is that depending on the location will depend on how the woman is buried. Uh, sometimes if a woman dies while pregnant or during childbirth, uh, the person performing the burial will put the fetus in her arms, if it didn't survive. Whereas some will leave it in the stomach, and those who are buried with it still in the stomach are the ones who become the abume because they just need to deliver this de- this child. Um, Sekien portrayed this one a little bit differently uh, in the Illustrated Demon Horde Night Parade Volume Two. Um, where he ties back a little bit to the Chinese tradition of this demon, which is a bird-like woman who uh, Snacks away children because she wasn't allowed to have her own um, In other traditions what will happen is the abume will carry the, a child and call to passers-by and ask them to hold her child for a minute and Then she will vanish into mist and the child will become so heavy that the person is crushed to death. Um, The next three um, all have the suffix ona because apparently um, what I'm slowly learning is that's how you say woman in Japanese. So our first one is the taka ona. This is a yokai who lives in red light districts um, and she looks like a normal woman and then all of a sudden her torso starts to stretch and get taller and taller until she is at least like two to three stories tall and looking into windows. Um, her name is a play on words because what would be thought of as like a high class hooker or a hooker with a heart of gold. Uh, that's right, I'm may- making pretty woman references by you Freya because that's what I call you. You're my pretty woman. Yeah, someone I'm one of those people who likes to give their cats uh, nicknames. Don't attack the box, please. Um, because I love my cat to bits, and, uh, but I got her from a shelter, and when you get a shelter cat, you get to decide their backstory, so, uh, I like to say that she was a poor, kitty sex worker, and I am, um, God, who was the fucking lead in that guy, the male, the dude? I'm the one who took her, she's a hooker with a heart of gold, and she don't have to hook no more. Um. So one of her nicknames, which is longer than her actual name, is uh, Julia Roberts. And she's just a sweet sweet lady. Richard Gear. That's the fucker. I'm her Richard Gear. And uh, since she's double pod, sometimes when she's doing things, she like looks like she back slaps them. Um, so when I lived, with my family for a little bit and she would get into fights with the other cats. It looked like she was just backhanding them so she she would like smack the cat and I'd be like, big mistake. Sorry, my cat just apparently really likes it when I talk about sex workers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Tako um one of the concepts of who they are is they are women who are apparently so physically undesirable that not only could they not afford husbands or get husbands but they couldn't even work in red light districts so they become incredibly jealous and just grow with envy so what happens is is as a takeona uh, they stretch and they scare people who are having sex on higher floors and she and when the man runs away Uh, She absorbs the lost sexual energy from the encounter, and that's how she sustains herself. Which is... I don't even know how to explain it. It's fascinating, kind of. Um, Next, um, because I said I'd get back to this, is the Yuki-Ona, or Snow Woman. This is a, the personification of Cold, who uh, freezes uh, wavering travelers to death. Um, this is a, the other possibility of who Mizure could have been from um, Rosario plus Vampire, but I chose the icicle woman just because I felt like the marriage aspect, since that is a large part of the storyline, is a lot more likely. And in terms of the difference between a Yukiona and a suara is that a yuki seems f- human, and feels human, and dissolves into more of a mist. Whereas the Suarona are made of ice, which is closer to how the, um, the Snow Fairies are in Rosarblast Vampire. Um, Yuki ona are very fickle. Yokai, they can sometimes help travelers uh, travel through a snowstorm, or sometimes they will just straight up kill a man. Um, Harkening back to the first comparative yokai episode where I compared them to Pokemon, this is a uh, Frostlass, is based off of a Yuki Onna. Uh, similar to the tale of the Suara Ona. In stories where they do find human husbands, it usually doesn't end well because um, they just sort of disappear into mist. Um, there's a story from the Yamagata Prefecture where a man claimed to be married to a Yuki-yona. Uh, During a vicious snowstorm she was standing outside, he had her come back in, and since she was cold to the touch, he he's like, you need to go take a bath so you don't freeze to death, and although she protested, he essentially, he forced her into the bathroom and locked the door behind her so that she ha- she couldn't leave until she took the bath. And when he heard a splash, he unlocked the door and looked in, but all he could find was half-melted ice floating in the, pul- in the tub. Uh, so, if you ever think that you're in the winter, if you're one-night stand or you're winter partner is a uh, being of ice, just uh, see whether or not they want to take a shower or a bath. If they're kind of iffy about it, then um, I don't know. Maybe you need to figure some shit out. Um, the next yokai is the Nure Ona, or wet woman? Uh, this one is a bit similar to the Ubume, but is does not have as sad a backstory. Uh, these are Vampiric Sea Serpents who haunt sea ghosts and river shorelines. Uh, the the thing that makes them similar to an Obume is that they use a artificial baby to trap their victims into a place and with the weight it hold but instead of just crushing the person to death like an Obume does the weight sort of holds their victim in place so that the Nurayona and other river demons can feed upon the human easily. There isn't as much about her, Uh, but she's still quite fascinating and she's often seen looking very serpentine. Uh, The last yokai I have for you today and the how I'm going to end this week's podcast is um, her biography I wrote down is actually a fun little story. So I get to end this on a fun little story. So this is the story of the Hashihime, or Bridge Princess. So once upon a time, there was a woman who was deeply distraught. She one day went home early and found that her husband was... Uh, Having an affair with a courtesan behind her back. Uh, She being rightfully pissed went to the near shrine and prayed to a god for seven days straight to help her become a living oni in order to deal revenge on those who scorned her. The god took pity on this woman for her suffering and her determination to put right what has been done to her so they instruct her to soak into the water of the Ugejiwa River for 21 days. I probably said that wrong. After soaking for 21 days, she gets out of the thing, ties her hair into five horn-like designs, paints her skin red, and carries a torch that is lit at both ends in her mouth and begins just full-blown sprinting to Kyoto scaring everybody in her wake um, she is so scary some people die at the sight of her um, and some of those people are the and her targets she kicks down the door to her old home where her husband is sleeping with the courtesan and scares them both to death and she lives on as a bridge woman Uh, who attacks those who seem happy and content with their coupling because, uh, you know, fully being driven by her scorn. And there you have it. This has been part one of the Monster Lady series. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I'm really hoping you guys are looking forward to some of the other stuff I'm going to have for this week. Uh, this next few weeks upcoming, uh, we're going to be touching on uh, the female monsters and enemies that you can run into in Zelda games uh, to mark the celebration of the new Zelda game coming out. We're going to look at some of the monsters and destruction goddesses of Hindu faith. Um, got some, going to definitely have some more yokai for you. going to go through a bunch of my encyclopedias of Greek monsters. And uh, yeah, this is just gonna be a real fun series. I hope everybody likes it. Uh, monster Women is kind of something I really wanted to cover back when I was conceptualizing this podcast um, because I just love looking into what a culture considers monstrous and um, the gender politic of what makes a woman monster versus what makes it like a male monster. And uh, yeah. So I also have a big announcement. Uh, I'm on Patreon now. Um, I love doing this podcast, and I, but I am an intrinsically very lazy person. Um, it may not seem it because of all the research, but there is a reason why there was a full month in between. And so I'm, uh, I started a Patreon to help uh, offset some of the um, costs of the research materials, and um, to keep me focused on making sure I get these episodes out for you guys. Um, So yeah, so there's three tiers. I named them all after different storytellers. There's various perks at each tier, um, but all of them will get you into a Discord group I'm making Um, which will be centered around a book club. Um, so my current plan is, uh, people who join the Patreon will be entered into the book club, and the higher the tier you're in, the more control you have over, uh, future, um, book club topics. Um, tiers start as low as $5 a month, and, uh, you don't have to, um, join, um, but I'd uh, really appreciate it. I hope that, um you really like this. Um, eventually, there um, probably within the next month or so, I will also be um, upgrading the um, services on the um, app I use to publish these, so there might be ads, and uh, joining the Patreon is a way to avoid the ads, with uh, ad-free episodes going up at the same time that regular episodes do, unless I this so, get this into such a well-oiled machine with all that Patreon money that I can record episodes in advance instead of doing them Monday night at 11:45. Um, but yeah, uh, and the link for that is patreon.com slash cavalcade of tales. I tried to make it real easy. Um, currently up there is, uh, all of the episodes that have come out so far, and uh, I hope you can join us. Um, once we get, uh, I won't announce the book for the uh, book club until cl- uh, we get a few patrons, but um, I've got a few, I got the first couple lined up just to make it easy. Uh, yeah, so you can reach me uh, th- and start supporting me through Patreon at patreon.com slash complicated tales. Um, you can also, um, for convenience, I changed my Instagram handle so you can find me at Instagram or tiktok at uh, white trash historian Um, I'd love to hear what you think of this episode Um, any if you are a person who uh, studies yokai or feel like I've gotten anything wrong I'd love to hear about it or if uh, you just want to tell me which was your favorite character in monster prom and why polygeist is uh, the objectively best one of the group and uh, no notes Uh, Yeah, and uh, I so yeah, that's this week's episode. I'll see you guys next week with more monster ladies. And uh, yeah, this episode's I'm just rambling at this point, so it's uh, time to end the episode. Bye.